0: Father, we just want to thank you. It's over three months are over. We are in the beginning of the fourth month. Maybe your deliverance will come for the world this month. We don't know. But our deliverance is every day, Lord. Every day we experience your deliverance. Every day we experience your salvation. Every day we experience your love, your kindness, your mercy, your provision. Your strength, your healing, every day we experience it, Father. So we just want to thank you. Once again, we pray for the world that you would extend your hand of mercy. Mercy, Lord. Extend your hand of mercy over the world. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We commit everything once again into thy hands, Father. Like children, we come to you. Sit at your feet, Father. And we say, Father, speak to us. The littlest ones who are watching, the little, little ones who are watching, to the oldest person, I mean in the spirit, spiritually the most grown-up one who is man, watching, you have a word for everyone, Lord. Speak to us, for in Jesus' name we pray, Amen, 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 Amen. Sammy, the vibration is there, the audio? <coughs> Last night we looked in detail. <laughs> We've been on faith. I'm trying to build the foundations for everyone who are listening and to the new believers who are listening, young believers who are listening. Why does God say the just shall walk by faith? Why is the life of faith alone acceptable to God? We've been looking at it in detail and I hope you understand by now. How the life of Christ alone is acceptable. It's too sharp actually. And that's where the vibration comes. <coughs> the only perfect life that is the life of Christ. When you and I walk by faith, it is the life of God through Christ that flows in us and that's the only thing. That's what it means from faith unto faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And last night we looked, when we look at the history of faith, we looked at how it begins with Abel, the fourth one. Not Adam, Eve, not Cain. It's with Abel it begins. And scripture says, by faith. How did Abel please God by faith? We saw he came with the firstborn, with fat and blood. Actually, he came and we saw why it is so important, because it represents the blood and the the life of Jesus Christ, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, which is the only way we have access to God even today. And so by faith he was going through Christ, who is the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. So we will see he was zealous for God, and yet he was not going on his zeal, but he was appealing on God's mercy. And we will not even understand what Abel go through unless... Scripture opens itself for us, and God or rather opens it as for us. Let's see. This is how I look at it. If you go after Noah, ten generations later, um, in chapter 9 of Genesis, and verse 1 to 3, this is after the flood, judgment is over, and Noah comes out with his... uh, family, the animals, and this is what God tells, the first thing that God tells Noah there. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth, on every bird of the air, on all that move on earth and all the fish of the sea, they are given into your hand. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. I have given you all things, even as the green herbs. So what do we presume from here? What we presume from here is that before the judgment, that is before the flood, man did not eat meat. They did not eat meat. Okay, so we'll also see that the fear of man, the dread of man was not there on the animals. That's why the animals come freely to Noah and get into the ark and God could tell them and they could move. And we will see that picture also in Genesis chapter 2 that God brought, you don't have to go there. God brought the animals and to Noah, uh, sorry, to Adam and Adam Named them. So this is where we have this picture of uh, Nania coming in, where the animals and humankind all walk together. They don't; they are not made in the image of God, but uh, they are created by God. So in the Book of Isaiah when restoration takes place, it talks about the child leading the lamb and the lion and the lamb living together, and the adder and all. So we have a pre-flood. Picture coming over here. So imagine, speculate, okay? I'm not putting it as doctrine, speculate. You have these creatures whom you love. This is just, just after the fall. So, Creation is still fresh, the effects of sin is not permeating that 's why man is living for so long after the uh, after the fall because the effects of sin so animals are also like that. Cain also doesn 't have to work so much because earth is still producing everything. So you can imagine how much Abel loved his lamb, how much he loved his lamb, okay, and the lamb if it could come to him, and if it could speak, some way communicate to Abel. And there was no fear of Abel. Okay? The lamb was kind of willingly going over to Abel and Obel. It breaks Abel's heart to kill this lamb and offer it to God. Okay, So it breaks his heart. So you remember the picture that is hidden from there. So the whole Bible is a testimony. Of Jesus Christ. Okay, whole Bible is a testimony of Jesus Christ. Like, God sees, sees Abel's zeal, he sees his grief, and yet he's appealing for God's mercy. So often we miss the work of Jesus Christ when we read, we read the word. You know, remember this is what happened to Uh, The apostles, where uh, Jesus said, uh, he brought them and he told them after the resurrection, don't you understand the scriptures? This is all about me. He opened the scriptures that they could understand and he showed them from scriptures how it was all about him. Sometimes we miss it because much of our focus is on man and his fall and his sin. And sometimes the focus goes away. So today, let's go back once again to Genesis chapter 4 and verses 1 to 5. Okay, we're going back right after the fall. Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain. I could speak about that for the rest of the session, that a lot of people have children, but they don't don't know their wives and their wives do not know them. Okay, we talked about intimate and intimacy. Okay, but Adam, the first time procreation is used in the Bible over there, it uses a word, Adam knew his wife. Okay, out of that comes. Adam knows his wife before the fall and after the fall. Okay, and she conceived, bore Cain and said, I have acquired, we are not getting into that, we are looking at the other, the big picture. Now she bore again, this time his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of ground. In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected, I like that word, no? respected Abel and his offering. He did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. That's what we looked at yesterday, right? This is what we looked at yesterday. Now the question is, once again we look at these five verses. What is missing in that picture? Let's go back to verse 3. In the process of time it came to pass. So it's offering time or sacrifice time. okay? And you see, Cain and coming and Abel and coming. So what is missing in the big picture? If you look in the big picture, what is missing? Adam is missing. What happened outside the garden from the first record of a sacrifice or a prayer meeting or a worship session? do you see, the head of the household is missing. This has been played out for 6,000 years. The dysfunctional families... Because the head does not take his place. Okay. The father is asked to lead his family, especially be the spiritual head. What you see over here is the father is in there. That's why there is a divided house. One son goes his way, the other son comes another way. And God looks with respect on one son and he does not look with respect on another son. This is the problem from the beginning. From the beginning. And we cannot escape that. We cannot escape that. Because in Ephesians uh, chapter, I didn't write down that reference. The book of Ephesians, if you go, not six. If you go to the book of Ephesians and chapter three and verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 15 will say, From whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We forget this. God is a family man. God is not heading a corporation. God is not heading an organization. What God is creating on earth through Jesus Christ is a family. And the church is not an organization. Church is not a corporation. No, people bring all kind of corporate kind of things and preach organization skills and all. It is good. But remember, don't forget the big picture. Church is a family. and God is a father. And Jesus is this eldest son in John chapter 14 and verse 6, if I am right, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And everybody stops there, but that's not there. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, look, let me make it very clear. I am not the end, the destination. My whole purpose of incarnation and life and death and ascension is to take a set of people to the Father. And when we finally see the end in Revelation, we don't have to go there. or Maybe we can go there sometime later, Revelation 21. The whole thing is that the Father comes and dwells with the children. So if we miss this picture, we will realize what is happening. And that is what is happening over there in Genesis chapter 4. The first thing, you know, I have preached from Genesis 4 for 25 years, but this morning, while I was listening to Pastor Vijay and I was working, you know, that's what I said, no? We can, we can all preach, we can all teach, but I always go and ask the Lord, I know, I, Lord, I've set these foundations and all, but Lord, at the end of the day, you are King. You change me to change it. Who am I? I need to hear from you because you alone know what your children need. You alone know what people need. Okay. So he said, go back and look at it and tell me what do you see missing? And I looked through it all and I didn't see what was missing. Then I looked back again and looked and God said, do you see? I said, yeah, Adam is missing. He says, that's what the whole thing. people all the whole world is full of dysfunctional families and it started right there and you know it starts in every house even now my children who are watching in the church i hope the fathers are there the mothers are there and the children are there you're watching as a family as a family watch as a family and the fathers in these 21 days Let God restore your position. You may think you are the head physical, yes, and you may be supplying and all that, but that is that is secondary. That is secondary. The main thing is that are you the spiritual head of your family? Because that is what God wants. If you turn to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27, God created man in his image, and in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. Okay, so God's image he split it into two he made the father and mother to have a proper functional family in so many ways this is not talking about sexuality this is talking about in terms of more like gender God is masculine and feminine and the masculine part of it is shown more by God the father, the feminine the motherly part of it is shown by the Holy Spirit and we, Jesus comes, he is the ex- exact representation of the Father and the Spirit, so you will see his fatherly affection and his motherly affection he, he represents it, okay, so God, in his wisdom, he knows we cannot have the full picture we do not have, so he put a father and a mother in a very loving environment, a safe environment, and he he did it in such a way that when a child is born, a child is not born full grown. It is a baby so that we would have the fatherly instincts which God put it on his own and the motherly instinct which it's God's own put in and we would learn to grow in it and nurture our babies and through it all learn to be like God, like God. This is the whole picture he was trying and he's still trying. And uh, you see in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, sorry, you don't have to go there. What you see is the origin of dysfunctional families. And from that day till today, families are dysfunctional. You have either neglect or you have abuse. Okay, primarily I'm putting into both. Abuse or neglect. And as humanity has tripped down history, the image of God as a father, as a mother, the image of father has the family man, the image of a family start breaking apart, breaking apart, breaking apart, breaking apart until there is hardly any picture left except kind of in those who have held on to the true Jewish families or some few we do not know, some no, everywhere because you need to realize the picture had completely gone in the Gentile world during the time by the time Jesus came where children were like chattels Sold literally, sold. Fathers sold their girls. Fathers, and parents sold their daughters for prostitution. It was like absolutely. They were not even an immoral society. They had become immoral. There was no concept about morals at all. And God's image as a father and the image of the family was so completely gone. And into that, Jesus steps in. He steps in, not only to redeem us, but to restore the image of the father. Okay. So once Abel steps in there, you see in Genesis chapter 4, Abel steps in. Why does God look at him with respect? He looks at him with, I like, when I got that picture, and then I understood uh, KJV, and in KGB saying, uh, verse, five, uh, verse 4, that God respected Abel. Because the youngest in that family is standing there in the place of the father. He's the youngest. And he understands the heart of God. And he stands in the place of the father and is offering with zeal and appealing for mercy. And God said, you know what? I respect you because you understood my heart. You understood the heart of a father. I respect you. So I re rechanged and said it's not favor or regard. It is respect. <laughs> it is respect. No, it is respect. Okay. So please understand this. This is a father standing there seeking mercy, seeking life. Okay, for his for his household. And the primary purpose of every father and mother is to prepare the next generation for God. Okay, yesterday when we yesterday or day first day when we were sitting here and talking, right? We were talking about how come in the the Hebrew chapter 11, Joshua is in there. I mean, just everybody is there. Joshua is also there, but not mentioned by name. And I was telling the 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 issues you see with certain people, like Joshua is incredible. He follows David, um, Moses like a shadow. He possesses the promised land, people have all rest, but he fails in one area, which is the most important area, he doesn't mentor anybody. Not even his own children, <laughs> he doesn't mentor anybody. As for me and my house, shall serve the Lord. What about the nation? So you see the book of Judges is a record of Joshua's failure to... Pass the picture of God onto the next generation. So Scripture says, a generation rose who did not know their God. So in a very f- important aspect, Joshua, Joshua failed. Okay, Joshua. Jo- Moses may have failed in his own household, but he raised up a generation that knew God. Okay. A generation that knew God, so you will see these things happening. You will see Samuel from the beginning, T. L is an incredible man of God, and if you ask him where did he fail, he failed to raise up a generation that knew God. He failed, not even his sons and not even Samuel, and not even Saul, and he got so attached to Saul in his flesh, he got so attached to Saul, and when Saul fell, he also in so many ways fell with him, and there was there was uh, David, and he didn't mentor David. He didn't mentor David, and David was always there. If I am right, turn to First Samuel chapter uh, twenty-four, one. Isn't that where Samuel dies? And there's one line written over there. <coughs> uh, twenty-five, one. Yeah, twenty-five, one. That's where he dies. Twenty-five, one. And then Samuel died. And the Israelites gathered together, lamented for him, and buried him at his room in Ramah. And there's another thing written. As soon as he died, David ran into the wilderness. Though he was chasing what he knew, his cover is gone. He knew the only restraining influence on Saul is still the presence of Samuel. And Samuel is gone. Now I better run for my life. <laughs> into the wilderness of Paran. Okay? But you need to realize, David was always there. David was always there and he could have mentored him, took him under his wings and said, look, let me mentor you. And he knew he was God's chosen and God had told him, this is a man after my own heart. And you will see if you don't mentor another generation, another generation. Okay. This is, this is the important role of fathers. That's what Paul is talking about. You may have many teachers, but you have very few fathers. And the fact of that, Paul fathered a Timothy and a Titus and all, and they continued that work. He had many students, but he had a few sons. And those sons continued his legacy, continued his legacy. And because he had sons, we, we have those incredible letters. So all the fathers who are sitting over there, please remember, dads and moms, please remember... You have broken families, single home fam parent families, all that never was God's plan. Okay, but sin has caused it. And uh, <clears throat> Jesus came us to reveal the heart of the Father. So unless we see life through the eyes of Jesus, we will not even really understand the full, we'll never understand the full picture of salvation until God reveals it to us. In eternity, because our physical soul caught in this body, sorry, soul caught in this body has its limitations. Because in Galatians chapter 3 verses 22 to 23, <coughs> scripture says, <"Scriptures> has, <coughs> scripture has confined all under sin. <coughs> and the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And before faith came, we were kept under God by the law, kept for the faith, which would be afterward, meaning law and sin kept us what? As prisoners. We were prisoners. Who is a prisoner? A prisoner is somebody who does not have the freedom or the liberty to enjoy life outside. And we don't even realize sin has kept us as prisoners, So that we do not have the liberty to enjoy the life which the Father is giving us. To enjoy the Father. And the world does not even know. They think they are free, but they are all prisoners. They are all prisoners. Jesus said, I have come to give you life. What is the life? The life of knowing the Father. And he said, my Father is life. I am life. I have come to give you life. And sin and law and the world has trapped you and has kept you. Has prisoners. And you are like, you are like literally like the children of Israel, prisoners and thinking about, oh, remember the days we sat around the flesh pots of Egypt, but realizing you're all prisoners. Only those who get to know the Father and have come to set you free, that you may know the liberty that the Father has come to give us. That's why Jesus' first statement in ministry is found in Luke chapter 4. The first statement he makes is this, yeah, four eighteen or 17, yeah? 4, Luke four seventeen eighteen yeah. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who... I mean, incredible, that's enough, incredible manifesto what he has come to do, verse 18. The whole thing he says, I have come that you may know the Father. And what is that the Father does? He preaches to the poor. The poor. He sent me to heal the broken hearted. No, I I I love it. I look at the Lord and I say, look at the Lord and the ministry. And today, I like the before we this thing, the, the news, not that Lord, not only Lord, we are able to feed your people who have the appetite to listen to the word. We are talking about the father and his kingdom. But also today, again today, no, the authorities, you know, the migrants who are you not know, caught, unable this thing. So the authorities asked today, we were able to feed hundreds of them. Okay. And I had told earlier, stock up, stock up, stock up because you know we don't know how long this so we have resources and the government is asking us, can you cook and feed? So cook, fed, took, fed hundred of them. And you know, so we are able to feed people with physical needs and also spiritual needs, and that's all we ask, Lord, let us be your hands and feet and mouth. Okay, so God is good, gives you so much that in the hour of famine our famine, God is good. You know, so this is the, this is the manifesto. The Father wants to heal the brokenhearted, full of brokenhearted people. The Spirit is broken because of neglect. Fatherless homes. Proclaim liberty to the captives. They are captives in their minds, in their bodies. They are blinded. They are not able to see the goodness and the love, the kindness, the mercy of the Father. And they are totally oppressed by the power of sin. And God says, I have come. Take us to the Father. That's what Jesus came so that we could be made whole again. So in Genesis 4, what we see is a picture of a dysfunctional family repeated over and over and over and over and over and over again. So we have to balance this picture. Law came through Moses, but law didn't come through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Balance. God is light and God is love. Both. God is light. And God is love. Because God is light, he hates sin. And because God is love, he loves man. that's sinner. yeah, This was, so you remember, the classical trap. The enemy thought he was smarter than God. He knows God loves man. And God hates sin. So he thought if you could put sin in man, what he loves, he will destroy man. That was his whole idea. He thought, okay, God loves man. He hates sin. What if I bring both together? I have... Put God in a catch-22 situation. He didn't understand the mystery of the cross. So God became man and took sin upon himself, paid the price, rose again, and said, you know what, sin is taken care of, I still love you, and I still hate sin. I still hate sin. Nothing has changed. I still love man, and I still hate sin. Okay, And nobody understood them. not even that that's what was hidden, the entire prophets of the Old Testament. It was hidden from them that it would never be revealed to any man. Okay, until Christ came and finished his work. So we see that. So Abel saw the heart of God and God saw the heart of man. Abel. Sometimes the problem is we see only one part of God's side, that is the light. God hates sin and we don't see the other. So we see sin as an act against God's light, which is true. God is light, sin is darkness. But we do not see sin as an act against God's love. We don't see that. We don't see that every sin is actually an act against God's love. Until we see sin not only as an act against God's light, But also as an act against God's love, we will never be fully restored. Okay? Because sin has its nature. Sin is like corruption. It's like cancer. If you don't halt it, it will just spread, 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 spread and kill the victim. It's like, it just spreads, metasizes. That's the nature of sin. So you will see by the time the tenth generation has come, from Adam to Noah, 10th generation, sin has metasized. So in Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, what you see is, okay, It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the daughters of men. They were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of all whom they chose. Okay, we'll come to that later when we come to Noah, were sons of God and daughters of men. And God said, the Lord said, my spirit shall not strive with man forever, for is indeed flesh, yet his day shall be 120 years. There were giants on those, on earth in those days then and also afterward, we look at all that another day. There were sons of God, daughters of men, they bore children, the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. The Lord saw the wickedness of men was great in the earth and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only, yeah, we'll stop there for now. Evil continually. So, realm three, God. Realm two, demonic. Realm one, man. Two and one came together. Two and one comes together. The result of two and one come together is that the wickedness, by the time it's 10th generation, what has happened by they come together. The wickedness of man was great in the earth and every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Basically, everybody is demon possessed. The very spirit of Satan has entered into mankind. And then verse 6. And the Lord, oh sorry, he said. Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth. And he was grieved in his heart. Okay, Grieved in his heart. He was grieved in his heart. And verse 7. The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I have made them. And Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God is light. And light demanded that he wipe out darkness. God is love. And it's breaking his heart. At what he has to do. Like I said, knowing God as light is one thing. Knowing God as love is one thing. Okay. And God looked down. And I believe. He looked at one man and found he too was grieving over the sin that was taking place. And he found favor in God's sight. Okay. Noah was also grieving. Okay. He found favor. Okay. First Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 8, the scripture says, so the chapter on love, it begins with that first statement of that chapter, verse, love never fails. Love never fails. Law will never pass away. It's never written, the law will never fail. Okay? Okay. So, Think about it. Light and love. Think about the Nirbhaya convicts who were hanged last year. Four of them were hanged. But suppose, imagine, one of them who was being hanged, or was sentenced to be hanged. Let us say the youngest guy was a teenager when that happened. Imagine his father was a magistrate. He has to uphold the justice, the law of the land. He has to go by the law. Yet that is his own son. Yet he sentences the death punishment, yet he is broken inside. Okay, That's why in the legal system, judges, if they have any connection with the case, they recuse themselves. So that justice will be fair. Justice should not be affected by human feelings or emotions or attachments to the subject. So you will always hear judges recusing themselves. But in this case, the judge cannot recuse himself because there is only one judge. And he is a judge of all flesh, yet he is also the father. He's is also the father. Okay? He had pleaded and contented with his children. Year after year, generation after generation to no avail. It can't go on forever. You need to understand this. The God of Light and the God of Love has to reconcile Light and Love. That is what six three means. Genesis six three means, "My spirit shall not contend with man for ever." Okay, that's what it means. Light and Love has to reconcile. It has to reconcile. It cannot go on forever. So God. He has to intervene. The love of God was restraining the judgment of God. Okay? So whenever he sees a man who understands his light and love, especially his grief, and not just his light, he looks at him with respect. Okay? He looks at him with respect, who understands his grief. When you look at his light, you are appreciating his righteousness. But when you look at his grief, you are empathizing with him as a father. And share in your grief. To share in his righteousness is one thing. To share in his grief is one thing. Okay, these are two different concepts. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4 says. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, whose image of God, would shine on them. The enemy has blinded the eyes of the people. What has he blinded? The light of the gospel, the glory of Christ. And do you know what is the glory of Christ, the light of the gospel? It is this one thing, God so loved the world. It is the love of the Father which is the glory of the Gospel and that is what is blinded. That is what is blinded. The enemy has created this world. This entire world system is created. It is absolutely hollow and false, caused to look real, to see and to see that we do not experience and understand the love of God. The love of God. That's why John, wants in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. 2.15, 1 John 2.15. Do not love the world or the things of the world. What happens if you do? What you actually miss is experiencing the love of the Father. Our homes are full of things. Homes in this world, 21st century world especially, full of things and empty of love. We have substituted things, substituted things for love. Love of pleasure is substituted for the love of the presence. So what do parents do, including in the church? You don't have the patience to sit with your little one. So here, play this game. Play this game. We have substituted the love of pleasure to keep the child occupied. Instead, the love of presence. Because whatever the child gets to know about God, ultimately he looks at his father and he looks at his mother and that's where he's going to grow. And get a picture of God, what God is like that. God is a father. God has given a father and God has given a mother. Okay. If you look at God as a father, look at God, God as God and God as a father, okay. We are also like Little gods, we have created this world, the enemy has created, or we have created this world with our fantastic abilities which only man has. And before that, God has created this entire universe. Especially let us talk about our world, okay? Look at our world. If you have noticed the things which we have created, and God has created, okay? God created it as a father. So I can go up into the mountains and just look there and enjoy it, Just enjoy it. He just created it so that I can just enjoy it. Yet everything that we have created, we have to pay to enjoy it. Even if it's a tomb called Taj Mahal. It's economical. Economics comes first. But everything of God is free. Everything of God is free. It's a father who created everything for his children. Okay? I mean, God did not... Create the world like one same, opaque kind of thing. Any country you go, there is, even when, okay, you go to Hyderabad with all its rocks, there is still beauty in those rocks. You go to the desert, there is beauty in the desert. You go to the ocean, grandeur over there. You go to the, anywhere you go, the tiniest details, details, to the huge picture is the hand of the father. Yes. anything, from sunrise to sunset, the moon, everything. Okay, Because God uses all that he has created to bless his children. Okay? But the devil uses children. He uses people as things. You getting it? God says, The devil uses people. So what happened? We got the nature of the other father, the wicked father. We use people and value things. Value things. God values people. and says, use my things freely. Don't worry about it. Use it freely. Every breath I take, every step that I take, every glance I make, free. Enjoy it. I love you. I created this all for you. We have changed it. So, what has happened in homes? We invest in things. And what the child, child grows up is that, don't, don't break it, don't take it, don't spoil it, don't, don't write it on the wall. The child grows up with this idea, you know what, things are very important. And we parents have told them, heaven and earth will pass away. He who does the will of God exists forever. No? So much. We messed up the image of the Father. Absolutely, totally messed up the image of the Father. Okay. This morning, Pastor Vijay was talking about, Thou shalt not covet. No. You know, what is the antidote of covetousness? First Timothy 6.6 6, Antidote of covetousness is contentment. <laughs> Antidote of covetousness, cowardice- godliness with contentment is a great gain. Okay? Now I will tell you, contentment, God knows this very well. So he said, well, he gave us these two rules. He says, this is the two rules on which the entire law of prophets hangs. This law has only two hinges, one and two, not three. Love God with all your heart, all your might, all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says you want contentment. It's connected with relationships. If you love God, you are content. You are content. Godliness, God did not say contentment is a great thing. He says godliness and with contentment is a great thing. When you love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your strength, you are content. You are content. In Philippians chapter 4, a man who loved God that way, after Jesus Christ, chapter 4, 12 and 13, this is what he says. Sitting in a prison and writing. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. What he meant, if the NIV translation, can I have NIV over there? It will explain it beautiful. Hmm? And I will put it, okay? I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Right? God is with me. His presence is with me. His presence is with me. That's what he told Moses. My presence shall go with you and I shall give you rest. I shall give you rest. That's what he told him. The secret of contentment. Okay. And this is the gospel. The gospel is that come to God, be satisfied. God loves me. And He's satisfied in the work of Christ for me. You don't realize that's what Paul is talking about, the liberty of the gospel. Stand firm in the liberty of the gospel. Do not go back to the yoke of bondage. You know what is the gospel's liberty? I don't have to perform for God. I don't have to. I don't have to compete with anybody. I just have to run my race. See, in the world you have to compete. Like, you know, you have to notice in all the world system, let us start with Telangana. Okay? You can have 15 deputy CMs, but you can only have one CM. Only one PM. India can have 300, uh, no, yeah, the constitution doesn't allow that. Ten deputy prime ministers, only one PM. Now this is competition in this world. You cannot have two heads. Only one. Are you getting it? So the world is tuned towards competition. It's all about competition. But in the kingdom of God, God says, you know what? In my father's house, there are Many rooms. rooms. Enough room for all of you. You don't have to compete, okay? You don't have to compete. You're all my children. There are enough rooms for every one of you. Today, he who overcomes, everybody can get a crown. Everybody can get a crown. Okay? You look at all of us. You look at the three of us. The father submits to the son. The son submits to the spirit. The spirit submits to the father. We are one. There's no competition here. Everything is willingly, lovingly done. There is no competition here. There is no coveting for each other's position here. There's nothing. You're satisfied in God. And I'm telling you, it's a secret of the gospel that you can go anywhere and we just be content. I'm not talking you accept sloppiness and all. That's a different thing. But inside you are content. You're not getting uh Comfortable with sloppy life and sloppy ways of working and all. No, you, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about contentment. Like I tell you, the two years I worked in that country with that, uh, in that institution, because I had to work with the underground church, I was the last to join the college. It was a private college. I was the last to join. Yet, age-wise, qualification-wise, I was the most senior and the most qualified. I had degrees like net and everything I had cleared, donkey's ears, I had everything. Okay. Yet I was the lowest paid. Because I never negotiated my salary. Never negotiated my salary. Okay. And every time I could see these lecturers going to the principal's office with one paper and saying, I have got this also, please ask the management to give me one more increment and this thing and all. So they kept on. Then one day they asked me this thing, what are your qualifications? Then uh, I said, they said, what are you doing here? <laughs> You're qualified to teach in a university in India. What are you doing here? I said, no, I just I just came for something else. They said, what is your salary? I said, lower than all of you. Why don't you go and fight with the management? I said, I didn't come to fight. Didn't come to fight. I didn't come to earn money here. I didn't come to earn money here. Never in those two years I went. And I had favor with the management. I had favor with the principal. I had favor every day. Every day. And I never, ever ask for a raise. Because you, this is what Jesus said. My food is to do that. That is where our satisfaction comes from. And everything else is an addition. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We are content. This is the contentment of working. Because you know who your father is. You know how he loves. You absolutely satisfied in him. Yet I used to go and fight for the other teachers. Sir, this one has actually done well. No, sir, why don't you give you He said, James, you, you never ask for anything. I said, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay with it. I'm fine. I'm fine. I said, no, we'll go by the contract we signed. That's okay. No? But private management I is always good. No, though they you look at your qualification all, when they start, they start at the lower level. They don't won't tell you what is your actually you're supposed to get, they never tell you. That's all our private man. Government college, government situations will go by everything. No, so what I'm telling you is, are you satisfied with God? You don't have to this is the love of God. You are satisfied with that. You're content in Him. In my father's house, there are many, 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 many. So the question is, you may be a recent convert. I'm so, that's why like, no, I was more happy with like when Sami says our YouTube, uh, much of our traffic is incognito, hidden people watching. And the actual one is only in my minuscule. But I was so happy with the radio listeners. And I saw that numbers going up and up and up because I know these are primarily the ones who cannot afford data. That gave me a lot of joy because I know the places where 4G is very expensive and they don't have internet, they don't have any of those things, they cannot watch and so they are. So I actually got a few of some of my old kids who wrote me and said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. We are able to listen because it is possible. So, so we have to make it available from one spectrum to the other spectrum. But remember, this is the one that gives God great joy. The gospel is to the, the poor. To the poor. Okay? And the gospel should reach everybody because God loves everybody. Okay? In Hosea chapter 11 and verse 4, the nature of God. Hosea chapter 11 verse 4. Shall we go there? I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck, I stooped and fed them. But did they understand it? No. They didn't understand. Moses understood the heart of God. The people did. Even Aaron and all did not understand. Even Joshua did not understand. All said and done, Joshua did not understand. You look at Joshua's record and life and all. He was a warrior. Mighty man. Faith has a weapon he used. But he did not understand this part of God. I, so that's why in heaven there is no song called the song of Joshua. The song of Jesus and the song of Moses. Okay, And David's songs are all over there in the Bible. So we happy for that, Joshua and we learn from all that battle, spiritual warfare with the enemy and all. But look at this. I drew them with gentle cords, with bands of love. I was to them as those who take the yoke from their neck. I stooped. Love stoops. Love stoops. God stooped from heaven and fed them. And Jesus on his last night supper, he stooped and washed their feet. You know, there's something about God which no parent, I as a father or as a husband, can never promise my children or my spouse. I will be with you always. That's the comfort of God's love. And he means it. And it's real. It's real. That's why we have these incredible records of God's presence in the burning fire, the lion's den, in the prison. God was with him as a slave. God was with him as a prisoner. All this. because He's the only one. This is not the light of God. It's the love of God. The love of God is actually the glory of the gospel. I'll be with you always. It's love of God that is calling out in the gospel. Come to me. All who labor, all who are weary, who are trying and trying and trying to perform, to earn acceptance. Come to me and rest. You don't have to perform for me. I loved you when you were enemies of God. I loved you when you were weak. I loved you when you had nothing. So you think you can make me love me more? Okay, now what we do by faith is to please God, not to make him love us more. You never have to earn God's love. Hmm? I still remember, remember once I told you in church, in the month of January, me and Pastor Cyrus going up Sikkim, and somewhere on the road, we see this little pickup van with Zephaniah <laughs> 217 on it. Uh, no? And we looked at each other, and I had to go on my mobile, not 370, not 270, 3 says, Zephaniah 370, no? In the middle on a steep, not Ephesians, Zephaniah. No? In the steep, the Lord your God in your midst, the mighty one will save you. How? When you say, he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. That's what in Psalm 131, David will say, as a mother has quietened her baby. You no, know? because, you know, why does the child go to quiet? Though the baby doesn't know, I mean like a newborn baby, let's say a week old baby, the baby doesn't know the mother's hands. No, the baby doesn't know the mother's hands. He has never felt, he's not familiar with the mother's hands. But it's familiar with one thing. The baby is familiar with the mother's heartbeat. That's one sound from its senses started working. It has heard that rhythm. Tuck, 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 tuck. tuck. You hold it over there, it goes to sleep. And that's what David says. I will not concern my soul with all this. I will rest myself like a baby weaned in this mother's arms. I will rest in the Lord. Because he knew. You know what one thing? I know God loves me. And if he loves me, he will take care of me. You know. All through his ministry, Jesus was showing us what our father is like. Like. Even when they told him, "Ah, teach us to pray, they were expecting, boy, how he prays, he will teach us. He says, this is how you need to pray. Our Father, like mind-boggling, our Father. Then he threw it all. If you have seen me, I've seen the Father show us the Father, 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 Father. My Father is always with me. I don't do anything. He only talked about the Father. When the Holy Spirit comes, he will only talk about Jesus, because Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So the Holy Spirit, the Son, they are all talking about the Father. And that's our job, to represent the Father to the world through Jesus Christ. Then he comes, he lives, he dies, he rises again, and then before he ascends to heaven. Not 40th day, just before he ascends to heaven. You find that John chapter twenty, verse seventy, Mary Magdalene is trying to hold him back. She is the first one to see the risen Lord. Jesus said to her, Do not call cling to me, for I have not ascended to my father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to, to my God. Ah he doesn't say, I am going to my God and your God and my father. He puts Father first and God second. He puts father first and God said. He says, okay, all these years of the law, you have talked about God as light. Now the gospel is beginning. You will know God as love, God as a father. So I am putting father first and God second. Both are the same, but experience is not the same. To adjust just a different picture. The power of God, the willingness of God, the kindness of God, all the stories Jesus told was basically trying to get people to understand God, reconcile light and love together, how to get them together, merge this together and put this real picture of who God is. But of all the stories or parables Jesus said, which is the most popular, well-known, Yes, Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. We call it the story of the prodigal son. It's actually the parable of the love of the father. How much the father loves us. It's all about God's love and the nature of God's love. Okay. This is the nature of God's love. Now let me tell you there is so many loves in the world. Now all the songs in the world 90% are about love or where love is lost. It's because world itself knows it's been made, made in the image of God. So it knows love is the most powerful force. But most of it is false. There is something about true love. Nature of God's love, true love. It exists only in an atmosphere where there is absolute liberty. Love and liberty are absolutely compatible. They go together. Where there is no liberty, there is no love. Where there is true love, there is absolute liberty, freedom. That's why 1 John chapter 4:18. Now read it that way. 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. What does fear bring in? Fear takes your liberty away. Takes a liberty. So the nature of love is it gives perfect liberty to the person it loves. Absolute freedom. We're not talking about children because we have to put a but, but as they grow older and older and older, you have to give them liberty. Allow them. The law causes fear. Fear of consequences. She's true. She's true. You have to warn them too. Okay? All the Road signs, the signs on the highway are uh, about fear. It's not about love. There is a bump ahead, God loves you. No, nothing says. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Steep turn ahead, God loves you. No. It's not, these are not love warnings. These are fear warnings. You will end up dead. So there are both these warnings connected with fear and with love. But the nature of love is that love causes, gives absolute freedom, liberty. In John chapter, 14 and verse 15. Now that God has shown His love to His disciples through Jesus, He tells them, now that I have shown the Father to you, this is what I tell you. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Fear the Lord and keep His commandments. Absolutely true. But now He's saying, I want to shift it to a higher level. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. So in Luke chapter 15, verse 11 onwards, as we begin the story, all of us were there. He said, a certain man had two sons. We are one of the two or a combination of both. All of us were there. And verse 12 says, the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of the goods that falls to me. So he divided with them his livelihood. All these years, think of a typical Jewish high school. All these years, the father has taught his children. Shown them, this is right, this is right, this is wrong, this is light, this is darkness, this is God, everything here is taught. Now the younger one says, Give me my freedom. Give me my freedom. Okay? Give me my freedom. What is the purpose behind the revelation of light and darkness and everything is basically a relationship. Okay, That's the purpose behind it. After seeing light, you don't love light, then you haven't understood the person behind the light. Okay, All of creation declares the glory of God. The so whole of creation day and night is beaming out who God is so that we will love God, appreciate God, want to know God more. That's the whole purpose. And so God says, they went down to creepy, crawly things. They went after creator things. Okay. So everything of God, every creation of God, whatever it is, is that we may appreciate him. It's about the person behind creation. It's about not the creator. Creation, it's about the creator. Even uh, you look at when your baby is born and you hold a little finger over there, you just go, it's so tender. No? Tender. You hold a rose petal and you look at it. Boy, why did he create it all like that? Okay. Why did he create everything like this? So that you would know the hardness of God, the rocks, and the tenderness of God, which things are so soft. You pick a petal from a flower. Why did he create it that way? Okay, everything. All of creation is declaring the creator. Will you long for a relationship with me? Okay. So the father had taught everything he knew about God and his love. It was his love that gave his son the freedom to leave home. Love sets you free. He gave them, divided his inheritance and gave them his portion. Do you know why do we, why we do what we do? Because he gives us the freedom to do it. He can shut us down in a second if he wants. Six thousand years are over. He hasn't done anything yet. In between, in between, in between, he gives us senses warning signs. And this is one of those warning signs. The shutdown is a warning sign. He's saying things are coming to the brim like Noah's time. So, I am pulling you all inside, giving you time to reflect the world. lot of people, the latest Pew report from there, people are all praying in America. So, thank God. Okay. Every son must choose to go with God or go away from God. God does not want an outward conformity without an inward relationship. The purpose of the law was to point us to God. To point us to God. Okay, please get this. The son takes it and walks away. Because he could conform to the law of Moses outwardly and actually be a demon inside. God doesn't want He wants an inward relationship. The whole thing is about a relationship. The son would take and go. The father's heart would follow him, but his feet won't follow him. Okay. When God gave man the free will, he took the risk of being rejected. And most of his creation, that's mankind, would reject him. That is the grief of the father. The grief of the father is the grief of rejection. Okay. And Abel sensed that rejection, that grief. Noah sensed it. Okay. Abraham sensed it. That's why scripture says he lived with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him in tents. What is tents? And living in a tent is saying that I am not part of the world. Why? Because my father is not part of the world. The world has rejected my father, so I will live in the world like one who is rejected. We talk about separation, but we don't talk about rejection. In Hebrew 13, we don't have to go there, we'll talk about going outside the camp bearing his reproach. Okay? So he allows the sons and daughters to go away, he feeds them, empowers them, gives them an education, skills, life, strength, everything the whole system that has been created, though devil talks about even the wisdom that the devil had, God gave okay and we use that and we go away Luke chapter fifteen verse thirteen. Scripture says, not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a faraway country and wasted his possession with prodigal living. That's where we have this term called prodigal son, mudianaya putra, prodigal son. Okay, that's in this story. Well, today in dysfunctional families, the faraway country is the home itself. Because the father and mother have gone two different ways. The father is spiritual, the mother is not. The mother is spiritual, the father is not. So whoever is not spiritual enables such son or the daughter to go to the faraway country and live his life, feeds the flesh. But home, it is broken, which is not made in the order of God. That's what's happening. The father may not be interested at all. So mother may be trying to get the child in the ways of God. Said, Don't push it on. This is all too much. Come over here. Watch with me this program. Or it may be the father. And when the father is out, the mother is molding. Because now everybody is fighting for the affections of the child without realizing God is also fighting for the affections of your child. This is how it happens. You don't have to go to a faraway country. The faraway country are homes. Absolutely broken homes everywhere. Very, very, very few homes are there where the father and mother are one and they are tuned to God, and they are bringing up their children to love God, and to fear Him, to know Him, very few homes are there. Very, very few homes are there. So when homes are broken, children are lost. So the world is full of lost, neglected, abused children. Because of prodigal parents. Verse 20 says, And he arose and Came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. Okay? So there is something hidden over there. This is a typical rural household. There are certain times of the day if you remember your Genesis account and people don't travel all the time like us because of security reasons. Okay, robbers, highway robbers, there was a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. So those days, they traveled in groups and they traveled in certain times. Everybody would try to reach before evening at town and then shut in, the gates are closed. Then in the morning. So when travelers come and go, there are certain timings they come. So let us say every evening when the travelers come in, father knows. And every evening he's standing by the roadside to look day after day week after week month after month he's by the road looking for his son whether he is coming back or not he loved his son he watched and he waited he loved him so much but he knew a relationship is possible only if his son came to his light You cannot have a love relationship without the light. Know who God is. There is silence. There is silence. Millions of lives, spiritual parents are waiting for their prodigals to come home. Silence. One text, one mail, one letter. They are waiting. And they have been waiting. Like even yesterday in the middle of this message, when I looked, it was my elder son saying, Papu, love you. Okay. (laughs) He could inter interrupt a meeting to take two seconds to look back and see one line. Okay, one line. One line. Okay. You know how many years God has been waiting? One turn towards him. And his eyes are ranging back and forth for the people he loves. He watches and he waits. And he waits and he watches. Though we all grieve, as parents we all grieve when our children go away. We grieve with hope. One day they will come back. What do we say? As long as there is life, there is hope. But God grieves without hope because he has seen the end from the beginning. He grieves. Without hope. Who can understand his grief? Who can understand his grief? And that's the grief of the father. You see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. He knows. He looks at them. He loves them. He's going to die for them. And he knows they are lost. They will not come to the father. And he grieves over them. That's why he cries outside Lazarus' tomb, even before he calls him out, because he knows you will come out. Many will not come out. And he grieves. The greatest moment of his ministry, he's grieving. The grief of the Father. Because we grieve with hope. He grieves without hope. Because he knows. There's one thing God cannot help. What is that? Knowing cannot help. Who has known the grief of the Father? We choose to go our way, we reject his life, we reject his love, and God will wait for us every day of our life. Every day of our life. Even in his grief, he's waiting for us. You know what's the prime picture of that? Prime picture of that is the cross. On the cross, in his pain, in his agony, he's still ministering. He's still ministering. He's still ministering. He's still ministering, and then he hears a voice from this side. Lord, when you come to your kingdom, I know his joy must have been bubbled over because he had. When he was well, he had taught. Do you know the whole of heaven celebrates over a sinner repenting? And right here, Dad, this is ministry. Boy, I can finish with the bank. Somebody is getting in even in the last hour. Okay, in the midst of his pain is a joy of some one son returning home. Okay, one son returning home. Please remember this. If you don't understand the heart of God, we will not understand His ways. You won't understand His ways. We will not try to. We will, what we say, we will wrongly judge God, like Naomi. Everything God is working is for Naomi's redemption. They goofed up. They did not believe. They disobeyed. They went to the unbelieving country. There she lost everybody. Now Harvest is back in Bethlehem. She's on the way back. But everything that God has done, including the harvest and the report coming to Moab and Ruth's heart changing to for, everything is for Naomi's redemption. But she doesn't see it. She doesn't see it. That's why we say all the judgments of God is redemptive. It is redemptive. Till today it is still redemptive. If people choose to go to hell, they choose to go on their own. The hell is full of forgiven sinners. That's why the greatest sin is a sin of unbelief. There is no sinner who has to go to hell. Nobody has to go to hell. The father has loved the whole world, died for the whole world. The price is paid for the most vile sinner. But People choose to go that way. And one of the final pictures of Jesus' ministry is that you can be at this point of your life and still make it. That's all. One call. Lord, if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, he could see a Lord, a King and a Kingdom in the midst of that agony and call upon him. Remember me. He said, fine. I will remember you. Verily, verily, I tell you, today, It's not hope. That is faith. You put your faith in me, you can be absolutely sure you have made it. So this is famine. This is wilderness. God has shut the whole world in. But the story or the message to the world and to his family are not the same. To the world he says, wake up. The family is come back home. Come home. I'm putting all the fathers and the mothers and the children together. Don't forget. You struggled, you worked, you paid EMIs, you bought cars, you bought all this, but forget it. Everything was about a home. How long have you since last you used your car? Last time you went to office. What happened? No, God has jokes, right? But the whole idea he's working is, I want the families to come back together. And the men to start taking spiritual leadership. The mothers to start praying. And the children, that they may know there is a God who loves. loves. That's why God has, even in the middle of all this, God has jokes. He says, look with your eyes, children. What did I tell you? The the last shall become the first, right? last shall become the first. What was, you look at the roads, the roads are all empty. You don't see any SUVs, no Ferraris, no, uh, like, no, what, what? VIP movement, nothing. Nothing, you see, nothing. But who is the fellow who is freely going into every lane? The Kachidawala. He is the king of the road now. Isn't it true? The garbage collector is going through everywhere. Nobody is stopping him. He was the last. Today he is the first. Right? And if you travel in railways, Rajadhani, Shadabdi, Duranto, all this and all this trains, so signal, signal, Rajadhani has to go first, and this fellow lying in the middle track, you know, the good train fellow, he waits, and he waits, and he's waits for it. Now that fellow is the king of the fight. Like. <laughs> that poor driver is to wait two hours, three hours, because he has to wait in the middle, because Rajadhani has to go, then Shadabdi has to go, then Duranto has to go, then super fast, then express the mail, the passenger, then goods is given. Now all lines are empty and the goods is going. God says, do you see? All flights are land, um, grounded, but the cargoes are going. Nobody even knew about cargo flights. Air traffic controller is still working for whom? The cargo fellow. God says, do you see? You see how in an instant I changed the world around so that you will look at the world. What you thought was first in your life is actually irrelevant. You put me at the back burner. bring me back to the front. I'm a family man. Bring me back. Put me first. And I will do the restoration. So these things that is are happening we should not scare you. Should not scare you. Should bring you a confidence and a boldness. It's a love of God that is causing all this to happen. If you don't understand it, You will see it as very harsh. You don't see the love of God. Go to Genesis chapter 42. Because this is famine. Famine is all over the whole world. In that known world, whatever we know. And it's surrounded the whole place. And there is only food in one place. Where is it in Pharaoh? In Egypt. And uh, Joseph is in charge of the granary. First famine is over. First trip is over. Second trip. Okay, no, first trip. Genesis 42. They have come there. Verses 5 and 8. Ten brothers. The sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Okay. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them. Okay. What does that tell you? How many years have passed away? He's been 13 years in the prison. 7 years of plenty. This must be the 21st or 22nd year. In 22 years, if you haven't carried them in your heart, you won't recognize them when you see them. They forgot him. He hasn't forgotten them. It doesn't matter somebody who is watching me today. You may not have prayed to God for the last 15 years. He has not forgotten you. You have forgotten him. He just... One call away. He recognizes you. He knows you. You don't know him. You think he doesn't know you. No. Joseph knows his brothers. Oh, backslidden believer. Joseph knows you. 22, 23 years later, he recognized them. But he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. So when God speaks to us in our situation through different voices, situations, we don't recognize his voice. Though God is speaking to us because you are so far away from him. But the famine was caused to bring us to him. So you may look at voices, they may sound very, very harsh, but be very sure it's a lover of your soul speaking to you. He knows you and he has recognized you. And then, yeah, verse it. a son Coming back, the prodigal son coming back, still does not know his father. Still does not know his father, because that's the nature of sin. Sin makes you, a, it takes you under the law. The law makes you a slave. So he thinks like a slave. Thinks like a slave. <laughs> I'm no worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Did you know he still doesn't know his father. <laughs> famine has cost him to come to his senses to go back but he still doesn't know his father he's still talking the language of a slave of a servant when he went he was a slave of the world when he came back he was a slave under the law when he went though he was the son of the father he never knew what it was to be the son of the father because he was a slave of the senses, the world when he came back because he realized it was a total waste of time, money, energy, he's come to the end of it. He comes back, he's come back like a slave under the law. still doesn't know his father. Genesis 42 and verse nine says He remembered the dreams which he had dreamt about them, and said to them, "You are spice." You have come to see the nakedness of the land. He was very harsh. The gospel may, may sound harsh to us. But they said, no, my lord, your servants have come to buy food. And verse 11. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. We are honest men. We are not spice. You know what a spy is? A spy is a guy who is double-minded. He comes to India dressed like an Indian, but his loyalty is with Pakistan. So double-minded. Jesus is looking at and saying, you know what? You are double-minded. One portion of you is in the world. The other portion is in the kingdom. When you live, You want to live in this world. When you die, you want to go to heaven. Double-minded. And we say, no, Lord, we are honest men. God says, no, you are not. You are not honest men. When they went near to Joseph, Joseph said, this is what you are. When we go close to God, God says, this is what you are. Wash your hands. You double-minded. Don't you know friendship with the world is enmity with God? It was their closeness to Joseph that revealed who they were. And they are still trying to justify themselves. We are honest men. We are not spies. The two men who went to Jericho were spies. That's why they had to be hidden. And that's why they went to Rahab's inn. She a harlot. It's a brothel. So all men go to brothel. All very good. So I can hide among all the different strangers over there. So the two spies were hide, trying to hide in a brothel they will not be recognized. If you go to a house, you will be recognized because these are all Canaanites and you are a stranger. But brothel, everybody comes. And we don't realize the whole world is a brothel. It's a brothel. That's why he says, adulterous and judo. Adulteress, don't you know, friendship with the world is enmity with God. It's a brothel. And there are so many Facebook or whatever posts of people, Christian people, if you look at their WhatsApp profile and all, it's all people profiling from the brothel. They're all spice. Hearts are divided. Half the time they are in the brothel and the other half will be always about the kingdom of God. Brothel, spice. But unless you come near God, you will not realize the reality and he's being harsh. But his heart is full of love because he wants to restore you and make you one. And we can't stand before God and Joseph and say, no, we are honest men. We are not. We are not. That's why every statement of his is out of his love. And when we come to his light, he shows us who we are. We know the story. You know the story. It's very harsh. He will take them, arrest them, say, arrest all of them. He talks about the younger brother. How many of you are there? Oh, we were 12. One died, killed by bees, blah, 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 blah. And only one younger one is there. Father's heart is very attached to me. We 10 are there. All that. He says, Okay, I don't believe about your young father and your younger son and all that. I don't believe all your testimonies. We have testimonies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Pastor, can I share my testimony? Sure. Oh, this is uh, Ruben and Simeon and all sharing their testimony. Our father, no had 12 sons. Bichara, one son died. He was killed by wild beasts. They didn't tell we are the wild beasts. That didn't they say. <laughs> no, they were killed. You know, our father is very heartbroken. And his heart is attached to the younger one. That's why we 10K. What a nice testimony. The part you played in the whole story is forgotten. No Testimony. He says, you do do one thing, lock them up all for three days. There's a three day lock up. Okay, we'll not get into that. After three days, bring them out. Give them three days to sit back and think about their past. So God has given the whole world more than three days. He's more generous to us than Joseph was to his brothers. Okay, he gave them only three days. He's given us now already 13 days. Sit and reevaluate your life. Let's go to verse 17 onwards. He put them all together in the prison. The same room, put them all in the same cell. Talk to each other. Same room. Put them all in prison for three days. Then Jesus said to him on the third day, do this and live, for I fear God. You are honest men. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go carry grain for the famine of your houses. And bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die, and they did so. He says, you shall verify that you are true. One of your brothers should be here. Rest of you go, take the food. I fear God. I don't want anybody dying of famine. So I'll feed you. Take care of this thing. Go. And if what your story is true, bring your younger brother. Okay? And verse 21 to 23. They're all talking to each other. Okay? He's speaking to them through an interpreter. Then they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. They did not know Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. Go back to the first verse which I gave you. They said to one another, we are truly guilty, how many years have passed by? 22? years. Now we see something which we never saw in Genesis 37. Joseph was thrown into the pit. He was stripped and thrown into the pit. He cried, and he cried, and he wailed, Anna, Anna, please, Anna, please, Anna, cried, and 22 years later, the voice is still ringing in their mind. Meaning you carried this with you all these years? That's why God is talking about. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. You don't have to carry it anymore. Just, just give it to me. You know what Joseph is doing? Joseph is doing everything so that they don't have to carry this. That he, they can release it to him and they can be free. How many years have you carried this? Something from the past. How many years? That's what he's talking about. He pleaded with us and we would not hear They're still carrying it in their minds. We can remember how that little boy cried. He was the youngest among us. Cried, 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 cried. And then 22. And Reuben is saying, you didn't listen. You didn't listen. And Joseph was listening to everything. That's what? God listens to all our conversations. Listen to all our conversations. He's saying, okay. I put you in isolation. I put you in lockdown. And my spirit is bringing into your remembrance things that really, really, really matter. Husbands and wives, make peace. Fathers and children, make peace. It's a good time for reconciliation. Let God bring me into your remembrance all the things that really, really matter. But they did not know God, Joseph understood. Joseph understood everything because he spoke through an, he spoke through an interpreter. No, that's what we are. And that's my prayer even today when I was coming, I said, Lord, help me to be an interpreter. Meaning if I take your words and wrongly translate the work one done, then Joseph has to reveal himself to them before his time, which cannot happen. It cannot happen. So I have to be absolutely dead to myself here and not try to change your timing or your ways. I have to just take it and pass. That's the job of every preacher, to be an assistant interpreter. To be an interpreter, you have to listen to Joseph very carefully. Very carefully. You don't, you don't try to be something Joseph is not. You don't become less than what he's saying or more than what he's saying. For he spoke to them through an interpreter. God hears our thoughts. That's what it says in Luke 15, verse 18. No, he came to his senses. Light was starting to come. Famine had brought him to the end of it all. When he came to himself. Okay, that's what happened. Three days in the prison, they also came to their senses. Suddenly, they are they're looking back and says, what could have, what, what? Because they understand the laws, law of cause and effect. Sowing and reaping. Okay, sowing and reaping. Did you see Joseph, though he was incarcerated for 13 years, never had to sit there, why did this happen to me? He realized. He looked at his life, I didn't do anything to (laughs) this. So it's God's plan for me. This is the difference. Three days in prison, all the guilt is coming out. 13 years in prison, nothing came out. So don't look at identical cases and say, oh he's in prison for what must he have done? He did nothing. It was God's plan for him. Another fellow went in three years, all the muck is coming out. Okay. So don't judge. That's why God says, do not judge. You will judge absolutely wrongly. You have no clue how I deal with my people. The worst sinner stays for three days and the innocent fellow stays for 13 years because he's called to rule. They are called to serve. Don't, don't, he says, don't judge them. Don't judge anybody before their time. Don't judge anybody before their time. So we have to, we have to be very, very careful how we read scripture and how we read people. Joseph heard them. God hears us. God sees our thoughts. God hears our words. He sounds so hard, he's hearing, but we don't see his heart. Go back to Genesis 42 and the next verse. 24, 42, 24. They did or not know Joseph understood his spoke. He turned himself away from them and he wept. That's a heart. Outside what you are seeing is light. That's why scripture says God covers himself in darkness. The darkness will be taken away only when we are ready to receive him. Then he reveals himself. It's he turned away, and he wept. Turned away, it's a very simple word, meaning he walked, got up and he walked inside, cried, cried, washed his face, wiped his face, and then he came back and sat down. Our God cries. He knows grief. We looked at ourselves. when you read Genesis chapter 6, every thought, every inclination, corrupt, violent. God is grieving. We are angry. We are angry. God is grieving. Anger is there. That's sin. But grief over the sinner? The problem is we get angry with the sinner. And that's what God is looking for. I look for one man, one man, one man, one man, one man. Who? Who will take the sword and cut them out? No, who will stand in the gap knowing that my grief. The people who stand in the gap are the ones who understood the grief of God. That is what I am talking about. Joshua never understood the grief of God. He went and slaughtered everybody and he was a mighty warrior. So Moses was willing to die for the rebels. There's a difference between Joshua and Moses. That's where the next generation grows up without knowing God. But the generation under Moses, when Joshua asked them, they said, it's only one thing we ask you. As God was with Moses, as Moses walked with God, we ask you, you walk with God. Their whole thing was a picture of how Moses was. Moses represented God to them. But Joshua did not represent God to the next generation. These are things we have to be very. What do we represent to the people? The picture of God. That's what Jesus said. You know what? I want you to get to get it very, very clearly. I have come to show you the Father. The Father is like this. This is what the Father. If you have seen, show us the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. This is what the father is. That's why sinners flocked around him. Yet he never compromised once on sin. Never. But they flocked around him because of the balance of light and love. He wept. The outward holiness light of God may look harsh. But if you know the inward reality of God, Joseph weeps. That's what Paul is talking about. The severity and the kindness of God. In that same chapter, within a few lines, he says, knowing the terror of the Lord, and a little later, constrained by the love of God, that man understood the heart of God. The terror of God, the severity of God, and the kindness of God. The terror of the Lord and the love of God. the lion and the lamb. The father waits and waits and wait. Love waits and waits and wait, but it does not cover light. Now you will understand, though he was prince of Egypt, most powerful nation in the world, with everything given under him, why he did not go to see his father for 22 years? So that his brothers could be redeemed. If he had gone earlier, they would have never come to their senses. That is why the father also never went towards the prodigal son, but waited, 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 waited until the famine brought him to him. The famine brought the brothers to Joseph. Once they are redeemed, he will go to see his father, get his father. It is not that he did not love his father. Oh, he loved his father. But there is a love which is real. Real. The word love is all false. That love is not connected with redemption. It's not connected with redemption. If you want to understand why the father of the prodigal son never went, where he was silent, he couldn't talk, because if he talks one minute earlier, his redemption is stopped. And sometimes as parents and as leaders we don't, people will say, why don't we make reconciliation? Because it is not time yet. Do you hate? No, you don't know my heart. You don't know my heart. It's not time yet. Because one minute early, one hour early, one day early, one week early, the redemption stops. And We are not looking for a crisis solution. We are looking always for the redemption of souls. But be very, very careful to judge your hearts always. That's why God says, pray for your enemies. Bless your enemies. Don't curse them. Why? Why do you pray for your enemies all the time? It's a judgment over your heart. You are judging your heart. And these are enemies we are not talking about, the people whom we do not know. People who do not know do not have the, the power to hurt us. Roshan is now going in the bike, imagine normal days. Somebody cuts across and shouts at him and he goes, he will be mad. Because he has a bullet, he may chase him. But otherwise, you know, he, lives, he is mad. A little later that is gone. Because he doesn't even know who that guy is. He's irritable, but he's not carrying that in his world. But in the morning when he gets out, if Tabitha says something and he gets out, all day he's carrying it. Why? Because Tabitha has the power to hurt him because he loves her. That man on the road does not have the power to hurt you because you don't know him and he doesn't know you and you don't love him. Okay, That's the nature of love. God is love. And God knows when he gave man free will, he would reject him. Man would reject him. But because God is love, God will never reject man. Everyone who has gone to hell is not because God rejected him, but he rejected God's love. Love waits and waits and waits and waits, but it should never cover light. Because if love covers light, then that love becomes false. Much of human love is false. Joseph will hide his face and weep, but he will not reveal himself. Sin grieves God's heart. We see repentance from our side. We will never see repentance from God's side. In Second Corinthians 7, verse 9 and 10. When that happens, we have liberty. 7, 9 and 10. I rejoice. <laughs> For all his sake, I rejoice. Not that you were made sorry, but your sorrow led to repentance. What kind of repentance? You were made sorry in a godly manner. What is godly repentance? What is godly repentance? Literally, in the context of what you are hearing. Godly repentance is when you have seen the grief of God over your sin. You see your grief over your sin is one thing. Seeing God's grief over your sin is a different thing. That's godly repentance. That is repentance God-oriented. This is repentance we-oriented. Oh, Lord, I'm so sorry, 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 sorry. Forgive me, I will never do it again. It's a different thing. It's a real story of a pastor who had a young son. Absolutely, absolutely rebellious, naughty young fellow. Would tell things, something. He spanked him. He tried all kinds of discipline. It would not work. One day he called him to study, took his belt off. Boy thought he was going to get a whipping. He took off his shirt, his vest, and he knelt down and said, Now I have told you everything I could tell you. Now you have to whip me. And I'm very serious. Whip me. And he said six times or seven times. And hard. So the boy, tears rolling down, was whipping his father and whipping his father and whipping his father. He told him, Every time you disobey me, this is what happens. After that, the boy never disobeyed his father. This is exactly God did. He said every time you sin, this is what happens. And if that doesn't make you change, nothing will make you change. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That is godly repentance. Godly repentance is seeing the grief and the hurt that causes God by our actions. What does that do? It is leading to salvation. No regret at all. No regret at all. It leaves you free. Because you have repented the way that you will never go back that route again. So does God's heart move us? Jesus was a man of sorrows. Because he knew the heart of the father, his father. As long as you live in the outer courts, God is just an ATM carder. If you live in the holy place, you will intellectually appreciate God because there is a lot of light there. But until you enter the most holy place, you will not know the heart of God. You will not know the heart of God. The call of God is come to the most holy place. Come and know me. All of The tabernacle that Moses built with gold and this thing, all, you know, the whole list that is given. Inside it looked gorgeous. And if you looked at it all, it looked gorgeous. Solomon's temple was like it was grandeur at end scale. You look at the ark inside gold, outside gold, all around gold, 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 gold. Even if you go to the real one in heaven, if this was what was on earth, what do you think what is in heaven? But when you entered the most holy place, none of that caught your eye. only thing that caught your eye was the blood in the middle. Only one thing. The blood. It was not of man's invention. Even in the heavenly place, <coughs> even now, the blood of the lamp is there. And the Bible says it speaks. It speaks. What does it speak? It speaks not only about the holiness of God. It also speaks of the grief of God that's why we say he loved his son so much and he watched 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 watched. look 15, 20 he watched watched and he watched and he watched 20 what does it say he was still a great way off boy from the distance what eyes that old man had old man had. Some people have very sharp ears, you know, very sharp ears. Though they say they cannot hear at all, old people will say, I cannot hear at all, all." when you have to pray, they cannot hear, when a sermon is preaching, I cannot hear, yet they will sit there, in such a, who came? How did you hear? Every word of gossip and slander, they can hear. A sermon they never heard. They never heard the sermon. And they will, if you ask them, how come no, I have problem, I cannot hear very properly, and I have problem at, but anything in the church that is a little, immediately. It's good to have sharp eyes, but like this, you can see the prodigal returning from far away. He watched, he waited from far away, and you see an incredible sight, the sight of heaven. A boy who has messed up completely, dragging his feet as it's coming closer and closer, and you see a Jewish father running. Father running. That's a sight. He ran. He looked at him and he had compassion. Jesus looks at the crowds and he had compassion. All prodigals messed up. He looked at them and he had compassion. He ran and he embraced sin, rebellion, cloud our senses that we are not able to sense the compassion of our God. He didn't condemn his son nor remember his sons since We'll get to Joseph and Judah another day. Okay, Joseph and Judah sorry, Joseph and his brothers is a picture of how God restores his people. You know, I just gave you a little this thing, but I wanna go through Joseph and his father. We'll not get into the older son. But divinely I believe God has locked up all families together. Because God is a family man. God is trying to reset our lives. The devil has deceived this world. He has substituted possessions for presence. Pleasure for presence. Position for presence. Performance for presence. Our God says, just come to me. Just come to me. Because the world is full if you really, really see people. Always, no, just don't drive up fast. Look at their faces. Look into their eyes. They are all oppressed, depressed, discouraged, or false pleasure. All these guys, false picture of pleasure. But at the end of the day, The fellow who pursued pleasure does not know what to do. Lock up for 13 days. He has no idea what to do. Proverbs 18 and verse 14 says, The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? And dysfunctional families for the 6,000 years have caused broken people. And Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted. All broken. Actually, people are all broken. Everybody comes. Because nobody knows what the real father is like. Unless we get into the word, then get into the Holy, most holy place, encounter him, we will never, never, really, really. Broken people. Bitter people. Hard people. When you look at hard people, you still have to be very compassionate with them. Because you have to look at and say, No, Lord. I don't know what this person has gone through to become so hard. I could have been that. There are hard people, bitter people like that. That's why God is so... God knows he cannot talk to Naomi. But he knows he can talk to Ruth. And he wants to redeem Naomi, Naomi. through Ruth. It's too hard. Too hard. You know, too hard. One of the saddest Saddest people in the Bible for me personally, saddest stories, life stories, repeated a million times in the world. The Bible for me is the younger daughter of King Saul. He had two daughters called Merab and Michal. I call her Michal, okay, Michal, because I had a kid in Assam whose name was Michal. So they used to call her Michalba. Ba means elder sister. Michalba. Okay, So she was the eldest, Michal. So I always pronounce it as Michal. She was just a pawn in a chess game. Other people were playing. After David killed Goliath, and people all started loving him, Saul was afraid of him. The problem was, people loved him, the army loved him, Michal loved him. So he came up with a good plan. He saw, okay, he loves Michal. Okay, good. Let me use. He said, go kill 100 Philistines. Now, Pastor Vijay said, bring their foreskins, thinking that this guy would get killed. He went and brought 200. And David married Michal. Now, because he he is son-in-law, nothing has changed. He is after David. David. And Mikal helped to, uh, him to escape. In First Samuel chapter 19 verse 11 and 12, you will see Mikal helped David to escape. She loved him. Saul sent, also sent messengers to David's house to watch him, to kill him in the morning. And Mikal David's wife told him saying, if you do not save your life tonight, tomorrow you will be killed. So Mikal let David down through a window and he went and fled and escaped. Okay, so it was not Paul who went down the window. First, before that, <laughs> David had gone. He just followed David's path. Okay, so Michael married, husband gone. She will not see him for years and years and years and years and years. Saul is king. David is gone, running for his life, left his wife behind. Who is in First Samuel 25, and verse 44. Saul had given Michal, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Lakish, who was from Galil. She had no choice. No choice. Married her off to a second man. The king's edict. What can you do? Okay. Poor girl. Okay. A pawn in this whole game. Years later, Saul is dead. David is king. And these two, house of Saul and the Ishabasit, David's Saul's son is king. Ebeneer trying to make peace and all that stuff is that is happening. And the first thing he says is that, I want me call back. Look at that. What happens now? Second Samuel's Samuel 3, 14-16. to 16. David sent a messenger to Isabashit. Saul's son saying, Give me my wife, Michal, whom I betrothed to myself for a hundred. And Isabel sent and took her from her husband, from Patil, the son of Lahish. And verse 16. Her husband went along with her to bow him, weeping behind her. So Abner said to him, Go return. And he returned. Poor girl. But she loved this guy. Then he had to run and she had to help him run for her life. Father took her, gave it to another man. Now she had lived him for with him almost ten years. Okay. Or more. Now another king has risen. And David forgets the law. Everything the law says, you cannot take her, but he forgets the law. Okay. Because it says if a woman is married and she goes, marries, and you cannot marry her a second time, so he's still under the law, okay? But he takes her. So this fellow is coming, crying, crying, meaning he loved. We don't know whether Michal loved him or not, but at least he loved. He crying. Abraham says, go, and he goes. Little later, what you have in Second Samuel six twenty three is David cursing Michal. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. Okay, she's a pawn, really pawn, this is what life is like for most people, other people make decisions and you're just pawn, move here, move there, move there, move there, now there's a set of people at the top who rule and people think they have freedom, everybody was free, get inside, you don't get inside, we'll beat daylights of you, get inside, everybody is inside, what is happening, Corona, nobody knows. I'm talking about the poor illiterate people and all. So immigrants all trying to live, stuck in the border with water bottle, walking 300 kilometers. Who makes all these decisions? Decisions are right, but did you factor all the poor people? Nobody factors the poor people in. So she's just a pawn, like lives decided. India of, for 5000 years, of so a billion women. This is my order. Marry her. That's it. Marry him. Okay. Life is miserable. Okay, he's drunk, he beats him up, stay there. Life's made. Through it all, there is a father who's sitting there and says, you know what, this is not what I am. 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 You are portraying my picture to all these people. that This is what a father is. This is what a husband is. Jesus says, this is not what I am. This is not what I am. Mothers and fathers and husbands and wives without realizing the whole family on earth gets its name from God. So here is a poor woman. Now she is cursed and she has no children. She still kind hearted. So she decides to adopt five children. Five children she adopts. Take somebody else's five children and she bears. Years have passed by now, one king, one kingdom. David is king. He, uh, he ruled over Hebron for seven, for seven years and then Judah and Jerusalem all has come together. So many years have passed by. And then suddenly there is a famine in Israel. Three years back to back. He go and went and inquired, Lord, what is the reason? He said it was because of Saul. He killed the Gideonites. The Gideonites are still Gideonites. They never change. Nobody changes unless they come to God. You can live in the house of God, but unless you come to the God of the house, you don't change. Gideonites have been living in Israel for hundreds of years. Gibeonites are not Gideonites. Gibeonites are still deceivers. So they come, give a cock and bull story, nicely coaching and says, just so David says, okay, choose. And they said, we want seven sons of, of Saul. Now go and see. That is in Second Samuel. No, 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 no. Did I give it to you? Got it? Second Samuel. I'll give it to you now. Yeah, twenty-one. Please read. Which other verses? You got it? Yeah, yeah. Go read further. Yeah, go further down. Nine. Yeah, from nine. He delivered them. So what did he know? Verse 8. So king took Armani and Mahavisod, the two sons of Rispah, the daughter of Ayah, whom she bore to Saul, and five sons of Michal, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought of her, Adriel, the son of Barsalai, the Mahalai. What did he do? He already said his word. And he's not going to kill Mahavisod, whom he has given him shelter, the other Mahavisod. So he took these five sons of her, and two sons of her, and said, hang them. This is the last time you will hear about Michal. Widow, no children, and adopted children hanging there. The saddest story in the Bible. One of the saddest stories in the Bible. Okay, And this is the story of so many people. Trafficked in their millions, girls, children, women, men, boys. This is the whole world. That's what the revelation, why God will destroy this world because they are traffickers of souls. And this is the kind of how they end up. And this is a father who's standing there, sitting there and watching and waiting. And that's what he says. He says, I love you. I love you. And if you don't read with those eyes, Jesus on earth, you don't know. That's why in Gospel according to Matthew, on the mountain of some mount sermon some, on the mount, the greatest sermon on the kingdom of God is given. And scripture that after that he came down. Here is talked about the truth, the light of the gospel, the light, 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 light. This is what God is. This is what God is. God this is what God is. He's actually he's ex what you call it, exposition of the spirit of the law. Dazzled by the light. Boss, if God is like this, what can we do? Amazed, shocked. And then he comes down the hill and there is a leper. If you look at chapter 3, chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, came down the mountain. After blinding them with the light, he comes down and blinds them with his love. That's what scripture says in Matthew chapter 8, verse 1 onwards. He came down from the mountain. Great multitudes followed him. The multitudes are? following him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Come here, Raj, you are not a leper, but you are just an example. We were all lepers once. Okay, Jesus put out of his hand and this never happens. Never happens under the law. Never happens under the law. You know why? Because if you touch him, you become unclean. You could have just spoken a word and cleanse him. But he knows, if I speak a word, his leprosy will go. But he needs more than that. Nobody has touched him in years. Not even his own wife or children. Nobody has shown any regard or love. He's not even considered a human being. He's an outcast. You know what? He needs more than healing. His spirit is absolutely broken inside. Let him feel the love of God. I love you. And he's made whole. And you see those pictures through the Bible of Jesus, the love of Jesus, the compassion of God, the light of God in his sermons, and the love of God in his actions. He will go into a synagogue and his preaching and scripture says, his eye caught an old woman sitting there who was bent over for 18 years. We won't look at them. He will look at the others and preach. Jesus looked at her and he said, come here. And they were upset. They were upset. That's the question God says. Even when you walk on the roads, when you walk, don't get so distracted. You always have to watch your eyes. Where does your eye go? Where does your glances? That's why scripture says when it means, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. And one of the things you need to give is your eyes. So your eyes fall on the people. God wants your eyes to fall on. That's why the gospel according to John says, Jesus went and he was tired. And he was sitting by the well, waiting for this lady to come by. Because she was another Michal. Married six times, living with the sixth, seventh man. You know, absolutely. But Jesus saw something in her. Okay, Something he saw. Love will always see something. Love will always see something. Don't let the light blind the love. And don't let the love cover the light. Don't. This is, and once you know this, then you will realize it's not possible without surrender. Every day you need to surrender if you need to portray God. It's not oh, possible. Oh, oh, oh. I and you cannot. If living God's life, living us through faith is one thing. God's life living through us, love is one thing. And God says the greatest is love. So as I close, I'm talking to everybody who is watching. And before I close, do you remember that incident, uh, Rama, that one which we, what manner of man is this? No, we don't have to go there. Rama Mark, and Jesus fell asleep. He was tired, he fell asleep. So, I mean, for Jesus to fall asleep in a storm, he is worn out. But do you know where he was going? He was going to gatherings for a demon, demon possessed man. The compassion of God. He was tired in his body, but his father told him, there's a madman there. You need to go. Body was tired, but the spirit was willing. So he got into the boat and fell asleep. And when he reaches the shore, the white madman is there. You have to read scripture to see the other side of God. The light of God and the love of God. So all the dear brethren who are hearing, watching, will be watching over the days, weeks, doesn't matter what the world has called you. The world may have called you many names mad, fat, ugly, widow, butterfly. Your father loves you. Your father loves you. He's the only one who said, Come to me. And put no conditions. He didn't say, only this set of people come to me. He said, come to me. Only condition, he said, if you are weary and heavy laden, just come to me. And he promised he would give you rest. There is only one who loves us that way. It is God. Wherever you are sitting today, if you are a family, I would ask you, Join together as a family. Hold your hands, husbands and wife, children. As a family, join your hands together. If you're sitting alone in your room, by faith, take a step towards God. If you're lying in a hospital bed, turn your heart and your face towards God. through the word you will hear this cry of God. Come to me, come to me, come to me. Who are weary, who are heavy laden, who are thirsty, who are hungry. The Samaritan woman could have never gone to him, so he went to her. Maybe somebody who is listening could have never gone to God. That's why God has come to you today. Joseph is not mad with you. He may sound harsh, but he's weeping. When he turns his face, he weeps. This famine was not destined to destroy you. This famine was destined to redeem you. This lockdown was entirely planned by God for his children. To bring us to him. Get us out of the world. Drive the world out of us. Cleanse the world out of us. That we might come to our senses. And come back to our father. We are all prodigals. All of us are prodigals. There was only one, one alone who walked on earth, who never strayed. That was Jesus. But he came so that he could take us to the Father. So that tonight the invitation is, come to the Father. Father, we just come to you, Lord. All of us together, Lord, we just come to you. Even your children who are watching, we come to you. The fathers are coming to you. The mothers are coming to you. The children are coming to you. And we come to you knowing that you love us. You love us as we are, warts and all. You love us. You love the priest. You love the prostitute. You love the beggar on the road and the prince in the palace. You love them all. When you love... You love them all. We don't have that love, Lord. We need that love. But right now I'm inviting all to your love, Lord. Husbands and wives and children. Fathers and mothers. All to the love of Christ. You are depressed. You are discouraged. It's nothing worse than a broken spirit. But he came to heal the broken hearted. Like me, call, you may have been handed over and over and over and you may have called it fate. And it was not fate. It was your choices. It was the devil, the enemy of your soul. But today the father is saying, come to me. If the father in the prodigal son ran when he saw him from far, it is the same God and he is close to you. And I pray tonight as you come to him you will feel the comfort of the Father. That's why he called the Holy Spirit the Comforter. The love of the Father. If it's your sins that have caused this he will tell you your sins are forgiven because you came to me. Some of you have been wounded so much by the sins of the others. To you he is saying, don't you know I am the balm of Gilead? I pray now, Father, the balm of Gilead will flow into the lives of your people, healing their wounds. Healing the wounds. Because to some you said, be healed. To some you said, your sins are forgiven. Some father need to be carried. Their demon persist. Or they are controlled by the powers of darkness. To them I pray and I speak now. Be set free in Jesus' name. Take authority in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I command every spirit of darkness oppressing God's people who are hearing and watching now to leave in Jesus' name. Release the bonds in Jesus' name. For whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And every oppressor shall leave and die. The enemies you see until today who pursued you, you will not see no more. They will leave now in Jesus' name. And even as deliverance takes place, I pray the healing virtue will flow into the lives of your people. And they will experience a release in the inner man, knowing that they have been set free from the power of sin. They have been forgiven, healed, and set free. Let them find comfort in the love of God, that He receives them as they are, and release them. Let the power of God's love they experience, because your word says, your love never fails. Release your people today, Lord. Release your people today. Release husbands and wives and children. Let homes be put together. Let families be put together. Let households be put together. Let there be peace and reconciliation in churches. Because you are the Prince of Peace. Let the children come back to the Father. Let them experience the love of the Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. We just love you. We just love you, Father. We just love you. Every rising moment, help us to bask ourselves in the love of the Father. Only you can say and not lie. Things we can never say. We say but we don't mean it because it's impossible for us. When you say the thoughts that you have towards us cannot be counted, it is true. When you say that he who touches you touches the apple of mine eye, when you say we are the apple of your eye, it is true. When you say I have engraved you in the palms of my hand, it is true. It's there we see the palms of your son's hand. It is there. That pierce, that marks. All over, it's about us. When you say about the 12th son of Joseph, Jacob, the son of grace, that the beloved of the Lord rides upon his shoulders, it is true. It's about us. Let people not judge life by what they see and feel. Let them judge it through your eyes. Israel complained all the way. But you told Israel on eagle's wings, I carried you and brought you to myself. And they wandered and died because they rejected you and your love. And I pray tonight nobody will reject you. You've been hurt enough, Father. You've been hurt enough. I pray no one who hears you today will reject you. That out of their own free will, they will choose to say and to love you. We love you, Lord. We love you. We love you. Tonight we are not lifting up hands and saying we bless your holy name. Tonight we are lifting our hands and we are saying, Father, we love you. We love you, Lord. We love you. We love you, Lord. But never, ever has anyone loved us the way you have loved us. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We praise you. We worship you. We glorify you, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The grace of our oh, Lord And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.